right, guys, we're back for another episode of Processing Blue. Mike, they won. Yeah, sure. Um, if you say so. Um, they won. It was nine points, but it's still a win. Yeah, no, look. Nobody I, saw it, but they won. Look, I wrote, I wrote in my lead that it took a, a torrential downpour and a rainstorm for the Panthers to experience a little bit of sunshine for the first time in, like, two months. Um, gritty win. Interesting win. I think it speaks to the character of the coaches and the players that are still here. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, as one person told me, like when you're in those elements, you kind of have to stay like zoned in or yeah. out. Yeah. You're uncomfortable. You're wet. You're frustrated. It's a grind out game. It seems like nothing can go right but the defense. Um, a huge win. Uh, as far as establishing that Bryce Young can do this. Well, I think there's been a lot of, I mean, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, more in the podcast later in the podcast, but like, I think there's been a lot of back and forth. There's like some, there are folks that are very heavily in the Bryce Young camp and there are folks that are very heavily outside of the Bryce Young camp. And I think, listen, he made some throws that were spectacular in this game, he also had some ducks, right? What I think we like the biggest takeaway for me, and what was special about this for me, is on that drive we saw two things. We saw Bryce Young somewhat elevate the play around him. Now, the DJ Chark catch is dropped or out of bounds probably ninety nine out of a hundred times. That was an incredible catch. He put the ball exactly where he needed to, but it was going to be a difficult catch. Right. Uh, the pass to Tommy Treble was important. But what I the second thing that I saw was, and we have not seen this at all, a playmaker bailing Bryce out. Whoa. We have not seen that. Bryce has no margin for error. Yeah. Um, and he underthrew the heck out of that ball to Jonathan Mingo that collected 20 yards. And Jonathan Mingo dove for the ball, won a scramble drill, did a nice job. I, I, I think that's important to see because Bryce Young is a guy who, to this point, has needed perfect parameters to have a really good drive. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that is necessary, necessarily something that shows tangible growth. But in this circumstance, rain pouring down, mm-hmm. the offensive line had to stay sturdy, which they did outside of a, a sack that was called back for a penalty. Um I thought Bradley Bozeman played the best game of the year for himself. Um, I thought Taylor Moden continued to play extremely well. I think this team is just what it is. They just need a, to to limp to the finish line. But for once, the offense, when they were given the opportunity by the defense to win a game, they delivered. Mm. Um, what does this win mean then, Mike, moving forward for the Panthers? I mean, you got three games left, but what does it mean? Well, I mean, I think it says that from a spirit standpoint, they're not dead in the water. Like, you know, the Matt Rule error ending and then moving to Steve Wilkes, there was a clear shift in in uh, personality. There was a clear shift in how the locker room kind of reacted and how it operated. Here, it feels like business as usual, but it feels like guys are still bought in. And I think that says something about Chris Tabor and his ability to stay the same person. I think it says a lot about the team and that, like, they're losing weekly, like, in 
like abysmal ways. Yeah. But they're still staying together. Um, and that's a credit to the coaching staff and, and the roster. I think this win's important because realistically, I don't know if there's another win on the schedule, but it gives you some momentum. I was as you just about to ask you about that. Well, no, I mean, look, here's the thing. I've said this this season's been about Bryce the entire time, and yes, sure. you want to avoid handing the first overall pick to Chicago, but I think realistically, they're probably a win for Arizona or a win from New England and and two more losses away from just doing that, right? You know, the masses need to see that Bryce can have one of those games because truthfully, they're undrafted rookie quarterbacks. There are late round quarterbacks that are rookies, CJ Stroud, all that stuff. Mm. Everybody you want to compare him to, he's the guy that has accomplished the least, really. Well. Um, like from a game to singular game standpoint. And so, you know, Green Bay just gave up over 300 yards to, to Baker Mayfield and four touchdowns, by the yeah. way. You know, this could be a prime opportunity at home for uh, surrounded by Packers fans for him to. <laughs> so you, you don't know, think the win is going to change the fans coming to the games or not? I mean, maybe a little bit, but Packers fans travel like crazy. They're like Eagles fans. They're but they like, got to get tickets to come in. Right. So, like, I think this is an opportunity for this team to say, you know what? We have some talent here. We can put together a drive. Let's go put together a game. And I think, you know, they're going to play Green Bay, who their defense is struggling. They're going to play the Jaguars, who seem to, like, step on their on their tails almost every single week over the last month. Um, and then they're going to play Tampa Bay, who is kind of like, like this Jacqueline Hyde style team that one week they'll going. show up and play really well. The next week they'll be awful. Um, and so look, if they can go two and three in these next couple of games in these or two, excuse me, two and one, two and in, one. Yeah. In, in these three games, I think that says a lot about the foundational pieces on the roster. JC Horn is back. He's playing extremely well. Oh. Um, Derek Brown, who we'll talk about later, is playing extremely well. The defense in general is playing. I mean, they only allowed one scoring drive, and really that was based off of, like, three plays. So um, I think there was a lot to take away from, from like, a morality standpoint, uh, from a morale standpoint, excuse me, and from a um, confidence standpoint. And really that's all you can kind of tip your hat on, you you know, lean your hat on because – there's nothing else to play for. The Packers lost two in a row. The Jaguars lost three in a row. I mean, is it realistic to think that the Panthers could have a three-game winning streak going into Tampa Bay? Well, I'm certainly not picking them. There's a reason why I'm last in our uh, in <laughs> our um, our four-man uh, picks uh, competition. I mean, I'd look. They won by two points against a mediocre Falcons team. They've sc- get this. They've scored 24 points total in win in their two wins this season yeah i mean look this <laughs> team has not scored 20 points since the bye like it, it's just it it's a bad offense and it's not going to get better until somebody new comes in and i don't know how much it's on thomas brown but he's certainly not helping some of the play calling but I mean, he he called a great final drive but like man if I have to see a shotgun run on third and one or fourth and one again, I'm just going to just 
but, flip over my notes and but, say, hey, they're going to punt. But, Mike, what was so different? Let's rewind way back to the Seattle game when they did move the ball, they did score. What has been so different between that game and the rest of them? Man, you are, like, big on 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 the veteran experience, just like you are here, you know? Uh, Andy Dalton, man. Uh, I mean, I think, look, Andy Dalton knows what he's doing. There's no panic in him. He's been a starter in this league for over a decade mm-hmm. like he he's just used to it i also think seattle's off a defense passing defense was terrible at the time i mean we talked about it all week that week um look i i, I mean i i i hear you like it, it's it's one of those things where frank Reich was calling the place for a veteran quarterback it was a little bit different and i think he was successful and i think people are right to point to that one game and say look well the offense operate well they still lost they uh, did and lost by quite a bit um they did so i think that i think they the, that was the only game that they eclipsed 20 points where they were not playing against prevent defense uh and so, yeah, you could argue. Look, I said when they signed Andy Dalton, he was the perfect bridge quarterback. But everybody was like, no, if they drafted somebody first overall, well, Bryce has got to start right away. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Why? Why? Like, what What tangible expectation did you have that could have been met with him not starting the first three games of the season or the oh. first five games of the season oh. and then playing? Like, I, I just... To me, they had so many opportunities to go to Andy, and they haven't. And so now you're kind of stuck, and if you were to move to Andy now, it would be a pretty transparent view that you you want to save giving up the first overall pick. Like, that's really what it it would be. I mean, I I don't really know what more there is to do. Bryce just led this game-winning drive. I don't know. They're in a, I mean, they're in a lose-lose situation no matter what. Well, well, Mike, speaking of the offense, what does this team need to do to improve the offense in the offseason? Well, I think they need a complete overhaul. And even if that comes at the expense of the defense, I think free agency, you've got to be spending on offensive line upgrades. You've got to be spending on a tight end upgrade, wide receiver upgrades. Like this offense is just awful. Like Andy or sorry, Adam Thielen should be in the third wide receiver realistically next uh-huh. year as well as he's played this uh-huh. year. I'm still like the, the jury's still out on Jonathan Mingo. I thought he had a positive outlook this past game for what it was. I, I think they need a true number one wide receiver. And I don't know where that's going to come from because I'm under the impression T Higgins will be franchise tagged. I don't see them trading for Devonte Adams. I don't think he'd want to come here. Um, there's just a lot of stuff in flux. And I just think they really need to prioritize offense. It's not about complimentary spending. They have, they're projected to have roughly $40 million. That's cool. a lot of salary cap space, but there are 12 teams projected to have more. Well, wow. um, they did some restructures last year that, uh, or, or this year that pushed cap over. I don't know if those were the best decisions. They're going to pay for it one way or another, no matter who's in charge. Um, it's going to be a difficult off season. Like this team is not like a year away and it doesn't matter who they hire. It doesn't matter how bad the division is. Like 
they realistically should have viewed this season as a complete rebuild and they didn't and they made some some moves that they were talking like super bowl and they're saying rebuild <laughs> it's crazy well but like but why like i i understand i know you're a glass half full kind of guy but like why what what i'm what just going on what was coming out of the panthers brass what they were saying to the public that's oh uh, well i mean no they said they wanted to win the division i don't know about the super bowl but like this team's just not good and well, they were never good. Like that was just like, I remember sitting there watching the first two preseason games and, and thinking to myself, man, I'm probably not going to be able to take time off <laughs> in January or do, cause there's going to be some sort of movement. Right. Uh, I didn't expect the head coach to be fired. I just figured there'd be like a new offensive coordinator <laughs> or something crazy. But like this team is just not good. And they're not going to be good for a while. Then I hate to be negative here, but like, this is not a one-year fix. This is not a one-off-season fix. Right. Um, I, I just, I hate to be extremely negative. It's just like the reality of the situation. They're a bad team. They don't have a first-round pick. It's they've got to re-sign three major defensive players when they probably can only do two. And still service the offense. It's it, this is a mess. Do you try to trade back into the first round? I wouldn't try. I wouldn't use like their second round pick to trade into the first round. That's like a bad <laughs> allocation of resources, unless there's somebody who falls that you feel like you. Have well, it's gonna be thirty three. Yeah. Right, but thirty three is an extremely valuable pick. Yes, absolutely. Um, just like I criticized them for not trading back from 39 because the top 40 pick can get you a lot of juice. Mm -hmm. Um, if I were them, I would trade back to get more picks. Like they, this is, this is, again, this is a multi-year rebuild. Now, if you say to me, well, Brian Burns is franchise tagged and he can't agree to a, you know, a contract extension and you can trade him for a one. Sure. I, I would, I would be pro that you can't be this bad and not have a first round pick. It's just, it's whatever but you also can't, you shouldn't cut off your nose by your face either you shouldn't be giving up more draft picks to trade up into the first round like it, we saw it this year a lot of stuff tangibly happens where it's cyclical right so you trade up all this stuff for Bryce Young so your extra picks are gone from the San Francisco trade then you sit at 39 because you feel like this is a must have wide receiver even though anybody from the outside could have told you he was a project that probably would have been around the mid fifties and you could have traded back 15, 10 to 15 spots and picked up another third round pick. So, Oh, then by the way, you could draft somebody at tight end or wide receiver again, or another position of need instead of feeling the need to trade up for DJ Johnson, who was a fifth round pick on the boards of some of the people that I spoke with, oh. uh, cool they did that whole blueprint series where they're like we won the trade chart well <laughs> it doesn't matter if you draft a player who is not good yeah. um dj johnson has not he's been fine on special teams he's oh. not produced a sack he's done okay against the run i mean we've talked about this a ton i hated that pick uh not the process of the pick not you know i'm not hating on the prospect i'm hating on the process of the pick uh-huh 
Uh, Chandler Zavala, who I still think is going to be very good, is had like the most epically bad rookie season you could possibly have. Yeah. After being thrust into the uh, lineup, Jamie Robinson's more of a special teams player. He was a healthy scratch this past week. Like, you've got to have a lot of lottery tickets when you go into the draft, especially when you're a team that's not good. And well, you know, I think forcing it in, yourself into the first round is not a great use of assets. Um. You know, remember they don't have a second round pick in 2025 either. Yeah. So compounding the problem does not make a lot of sense. Um, I would wait to to touch the defense until the draft because you have this great core of veterans. Okay, let's say they trade Brian Burns, right? You still have J.C. Horn, who needs to prove that he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Eric Brown, hopefully you resign Frankie Louvu. Um, there's you know Xavier Woods and and. Von Bell feel like keepers like there's talent there the problem is like where do you kind of attack the defense like they need to start another starting corner potentially if they decide to move on from Dante Jackson or CJ Anderson walks they need to figure out what they want to do at nickel Troy Hill's been tremendous maybe they re-sign him especially if Evero stays like there's a there's a lot going on here it's not going to be an easy fix. They're going to have to be creative. And again, I think expectations should be tempered for the foreseeable future. Wow. Uh, Evero, do you do you buy him as legitimate head coach candidate? I think he's a legitimate head coach candidate. I don't know if he will be here. Hmm. Uh, it does kind of seem like they want to go offense again. Uh, just everything I've heard. That said... I think that's foolish. I think you should never try to put somebody in a box and make that what you hire. That's what you do with Frank Reich. You're like, oh, I want a QB guru and an offensive wizard or whatever. And then he comes out and does the exact opposite of what you intended to do. And so you need a leader of men. You need a person who can can rally the troops, who can restore order, who can have a long-term vision, who can be here for several years. And that's, you know that should be a wide open search. Evero is a guy who has come in. He's dealt with a plethora of injuries everywhere. I think every member of the secondary has missed multiple games due to injury or what have you. And then, you know, he's working with Derek Brown and a bunch of people no one's ever heard of up front. And they're, they're playing better against the run over the last few weeks. Uh, linebacker, they missed, they lost Shaq Thompson after two, you know, almost immediately. Like, yeah. They've been through the ringer on defense and Evero has been able to, you know, save the group in a lot of ways. And I think that speaks to him. Then again, you say to yourself, well, some guys are just coordinators. And I mean that in a general sense. I'm not saying that's Evero. Right, right, right. I just think you've got this great coach, great young coach. And if you want to keep him, I mean, chances are, you know, he's going to get interviews for head coaching jobs again. He's seen the league as a really sharp guy and a guy who's on the rise. You know, maybe, I mean, you've been able to scout him for an entire year. Yeah. You know, he should be a heavy favorite in the candidate race, and I just don't get the feeling that they really want to do that. Who do you think will be the favorites in the candidate race? And if well, Mike Tomlin is not on, not with Pittsburgh next year, would he be one of them? I, you know, I... I, I don't know. Would he want to come here? That's the well, question. Like, that's always the question. Like, Ben Johnson's going to be high on their list. Yeah. Um, I expect, you know, if they do open up the search to uh, stuff outside of offense, I Dan Quinn's going to be the bell of the ball this, uh-huh. uh, this offseason. 
he's going to get another head coaching job. I think like the Belichick stuff is, is interesting, but he's older and Tepper wants a long-term fix. Yeah. Uh, Belichick's a great coach still. He's a terrible personnel man. So it's just, it's a matter of overcoming that. Well, you know, he honestly has a pretty comparable draft record to the Panthers over the last several years, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think the last guy that Belichick signed who was a, a top three pick was De, uh, DeMar Hamlin, or uh, not DeMar Hamlin, excuse me, uh, Deron Harmon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a third round pick in like 2010. So like, it's been, a, it's been a while. And so I think when you look at him, he's kind of aged out, I think, of the process. Um, do they want to hire a VP of football operations? Do they want to keep Scott Fitter? I think all of that stuff matters when you look at the head coaching ser- search. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but to me, Frank Smith is a guy they should look at. He's a guy who does a lot of the operational stuff behind the scenes for the Miami Dolphins. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about him. I think having a CEO head coach is not the wrong way to go, especially if he's a good leader of men uh, and the rest will follow. And uh, you hire a young offensive mind. If you lose him in two years, well, that means you're, you're having success. So, um, I don't know. I think this is going to be a wide open race. I think they need to do a very good job of filtering out the system, whether that means hiring a, a search firm or, you know, hiring a football czar at the top to be the go between between Tepper and the front office. Perfect world. When you, when would that guy be in place? This well, I mean, you know, after the season. I mean, like I think that's you know, you've built up this personnel department for four years like trying to piece it together well, so to blow it up before the draft doesn't seem all that intelligent especially when you're going to use their um scouting reports anyways that's typically how it goes so yeah. you know putting somebody in place to then make a decision on scott fitterer and, and company after the draft makes sense um i think it's a matter of getting them in here before free agency before the combine and really kind of, you know, planting the flag up top. All right. Well, now it's time for my favorite part of the show. I know you got something teed up. It's time for case takes. All right. So it's time to recognize the greatness of Derek Brown. Okay. This guy, you know, is playing on a defensive line where he's playing four technique. Now four technique, unlike a regular defensive end position is a read and react position. And not to get two X's and O's with you, you're typically not an attacker as a as a traditional four technique. You're playing inside leverage, you're reading the block, and then you're reacting. So think about that for a second. Instead of immediately being in attack mode, you have to see what the play is and then attack, right? A lot of play mm-hmm. a lot of teams that have pass rushers, they just go and they stop the run to the pass. Um and so you know, what Derek Brown's been able to do, you know, sack numbers aside, he's he's getting tons of pr- – I think he PFF has him at 23 pressures, uh, 41 stops. Uh, those 41 stops, I believe, lead all inside uh, defensive linemen uh, in the league. He's just – I mean, he's dominant, and you see it on every play. And you know a great player is great when he affects the play and he's not even near the ball. And if you watch Derek Brown – He's constantly affecting the play, whether he's near the ball or not. He's making plays for other people. Um, 
he's a special player. I don't care about what the st- the sack stats st- say. This dude is a top 10 defensive tackle in the league, maybe a top five guy. Well, um, he's had an incredible year. I think he's doing a lot of great work under Todd Wash. They seem ha- extremely happy with him. And frankly, I would extend him before I extended Brian Burns based on performance this year. Okay. So, look, I, I, I mean, again, the sacks aren't there, but there's more to pass rush than sacks. There's well, pressures. There's, you know, drawing doubles. Um, they're setting the stage for other pass rushers. Like he does everything. He takes on additional blocks. He moves guys out of the way. He's batting up passes left and right. He's, I mean, that interception against the saints was incredible. Um, he is just such an impressive player and a gem and a blue chip player that I think this team has a really good mm. face of the defense, whether Brian Burns is here or not. Well, there you have it for Mike K, number one Panthers writer. Um, you guys out there on YouTube, make sure you like, share, and subscribe, and hit that notification bell so when Mike drops his latest episode, that you get a hold of it. And we'll catch you next week on Processing Blue.